Well, good evening, everyone. It is great to see you all. If I have not met you before, my name is Ben Harris. I'm the pastor here at New City Church, and uh, I absolutely bleed New City, and I absolutely bleed Covenant. Um, There are people in this room, both from New City and from Covenant, who uh, literally changed my diapers uh, 38, 39 years ago. And uh, I'm grateful to all of you for that, and I'm grateful to many, many people in this room who over the years have uh, discipled me, prayed for me, prayed with me, invested in me, loved me back to Jesus uh, in my wanderings. And so, man, what a privilege it is to just be together. We are the body of Christ. We are one in Jesus. He has done everything. He's separate. He, he has destroyed the dividing wall between us and God because of our sin, and he's destroyed any other dividing wall that anybody can think of. And so we gather here to, together as, as one family in Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, if you're a visitor here with us, uh, welcome to you as well. Um, if, uh, if Christianity is something new to you, or maybe it's not new to you at all, but um, it could be for some of you as we enter into this time that we, uh, that we celebrate Jesus' death, I can imagine that for some of us we go, why is it that we would gather and celebrate death? I mean, it seems a little dark, doesn't it? Why, why would we just keep doing a funeral over and over and over again? I mean, if funerals are, are hard enough, why do we keep coming back to these same things? Um, uh, Simeon, who was uh, jamming on the box here on the cajon a few minutes ago, last Sunday, uh, he was on worship team as well. We were about to pray before the service, and he said, hey, what are we doing for the Black Friday service? And um, we all kind of stopped and looked at him and, and laughed at him and then eventually with him uh, for a second, and uh, he gave me permission uh, to talk about it. But he goes, no, I'm sorry, I meant Good Friday. But I think it's easy for us to think in those terms, why, why isn't it Black Friday, and, and why are we celebrating something that is, that is grievous, that is sad? Um, the Bible, I want you to know, gives a, a, us a fantastic answer as to why we both grieve uh, in a night like Good Friday, in a day like Good Friday, and why we celebrate Uh, this moment that we look back on as Good Friday. Not Black Friday, but a historical moment called Good Friday. And so to explain that to you further this evening, what I'd like to do is actually go all the way back to the Old Testament, go all the way back to the book uh, of Exodus. And there's this incredibly powerful scene that took place 3,500 years ago um, and reminds us a little bit of why we are desperately in need today of this moment that we both grieve and celebrate that someone needed to die. So if we go back to Exodus and chapter 12, just to, to highlight for you the first 11 chapters of Exodus, in case it's new for you, um, we're introduced to God's people, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, who have been made slaves in a land called Egypt. Um, they are oppressed, they are used, they are abused, and they are feeling hopeless because of their enslavement to Egypt. But as God always does, God heard their cries, and God cared And God did something about it. God stepped in and God brought justice. And so, so far, we would have seen nine plagues that God has brought on uh, Egypt and on the nation of Egypt. It began with the Nile turning into blood, followed by a plague of frogs, a plague of gnats, a plague of flies, a plague of livestock dying left and right, a plague of boils, a plague of hail, a plague of locusts, and then darkness for three days. And each plague was confronting a different false god among the pantheon of false gods of the people of Egypt and showing them that not, not just was God going to rescue his people. No, no, this was a showdown to reveal once again that God is sovereign over all of the little gods of the world. 
So the little Egyptian God of the Nile and the little Egyptian God of the harvest and the little Egyptian God of the sun were immediately defeated before the power of the one true God. And now we come to the 10th plague. And we come to what is remembered as the very first Passover. And this is our scripture for this evening. This is Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Trust me, I wasn't thinking about doing otherwise, but... Verse 10, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Let's pray and ask God's blessing over his word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are perfect. We are not. We are grateful that we can come before you by your grace. We trust you in faith. We submit to your word. Father, lift us up by your grace and your power this evening and remind us of why we have gathered this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three ways this morning, this evening, that the Passover and the plagues show us our need for the cross of Jesus. The first is this, the wages of sin. The wages of sin. See, the Egyptians, as you've seen, were under a death sentence because of their evil, because of their wickedness. Egypt, in case you are feeling a little sorry for Egypt, feel like God's overreacting, Egypt had systematically ripped firstborn baby boys out of the arms of their new mothers, their Israelite mothers, and drowned them in the Nile as a method of population control and overruled the Israelite people this way for 400 years. You know, in, in the same way, outside of Christ, we are slaves. We are slaves to sin, and we can't break free. We are in the same way hopeless outside of Christ because of our sin. But now the plagues have come in, and the plagues will be act after act after act of God's perfect, divine, sovereign justice. And what Egypt and Pharaoh should have done was repent and turn to God and say, I'm sorry for my sins, please forgive me. But they would not because their hearts were hardened and they refused, Pharaoh refused over and over again to do that. But what might surprise you more is that Israel 
was under the same judgment. The nation of Israel, God's people, was under the same death sentence. Notice it said in that passage three times, God says, I will strike the land of Egypt and all the firstborn will die. Now, hear me this evening. If you are planning on getting into heaven because you think, well, as long as I'm better than that guy over there in Egypt, then I'm, I'm set. I've got my fire insurance. I've got my way to heaven. Understand that the Bible disagrees with you. In the New Testament, Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all have sinned, all, and fall short of the glory of God. Israel, if we go back to Old Testament Israel, Israel had rejected God's word. So do we. Israel had taken on all of the various idols of that culture and worshipped all of them, and so do we. The Bible says again in the New Testament, Romans 6.23, For the wages or payment of sin is death. Oh, but, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Understand this though. You will never believe, accept, or understand why the good news is so good and that you need a savior like Jesus until you recognize the reality of your sin, the seriousness of your sin, that it has earned the payment of death. And so we come to number two, which Exodus 12 uh, brings us to, which is the Lamb of God. See, God in his perfect justice will not leave sin unpunished, and that's a good thing and a bad thing for us. But God in his grace gave them a way out to be received by faith. God says to the Israelites, make a meal and get ready to be free. He says, eat the bitter herbs, which would have reminded them of the bitterness of slavery. Believe me, they hadn't forgotten. He says, eat the unleavened bread that cooks fast because you're going to flee your captors very soon. Trust me. But more importantly, God says, take a lamb. And in verse 5, he's very specific. He says, a spotless, perfect lamb, not just any lamb, and kill it. Kill a lamb and then sacrifice it. And take even the blood of that lamb and cover the very doorposts that you live in, the house that you live in. Go home tonight, try that out, see what the neighbors think. See, God has always required a lamb. If we go back to the very beginning of the story, Adam and Eve's generation, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice of a firstborn lamb, but he was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice of fruit. And who would be? Who wants fruit? In Abraham and Isaac's generation, God tested Abraham's faith and told him to sacrifice his one and only son. And when Isaac is walking along with Abraham and he he knows they're going to sacrifice and he sort of starts to get a little nervous, it's like, hey, dad, where's the lamb? In Genesis 22 and verse 8, Abraham rightly says, God himself will provide the lamb. And he did. See, in salvation, God always provides what he demands. Understand that? In salvation, God always provides what it is that he demands. So in Exodus 12, God says, take a lamb, sacrifice it for your household. 
In Leviticus 16, we have the Day of Atonement, and the priest was to sacrifice a lamb on behalf of all Israel. And you can see this progression that's developing in the Old Testament, the lamb serving as a representative sacrifice, first for an individual, Isaac, and then for a family, and now for the nation in Leviticus, and then what? What about us Gentiles? What? Fast forward to the New Testament. A guy named John the Baptist. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 29, he looks over and he sees Jesus. And he points to him around that crowd and he says, Look, there is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Now he's come. See, in salvation, God always provides what he demands. You cannot save yourself. Because your sin has earned a wage or a payment, and that payment, unfortunately, is death, and we, we deserve it. And, oh, by the way, our lack of perfect righteousness means that we can't enter heaven either. But God has provided the true lamb, a perfectly sinless lamb, a sacrifice or a payment for your sins and for my sins. And so, Jesus gathers the disciples together. It's Thursday night, and he's going to lead them in this same Passover meal that had been happening for years and generations and more years. Only this time on Thursday night, he's going to make it better. Take just a sliver of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. It says this about Jesus, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, the Lamb of God. And then on Good Friday, and it is good, on Good Friday, at the very moment that for generations after generation, fathers would take that pure spotless lamb and would kill that spotless lamb with his family and begin that whole process, the remembrance of Passover, at that exact same moment, Jesus was being hung on a cross. Which brings us third and finally to the Passover. This moment, this event, this reality, the Passover. The New Testament makes it clear, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. God's wrath passed over Israel because God's wrath had passed through the lamb. The Old Testament Passover lamb was an illustration for us. It was a a type, to use the official theological term. It was a symbol. It was a prequel. It was a promise of the real thing that was yet to come. Understand that even this very first Passover Way back in Exodus was absolutely about Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins. See, not one person in the Old Testament was saved because an animal died. Understand that. The entire New Testament book of Hebrews is a, is a lengthy explanation of helping Jews and Gentiles understand that reality. And here's the punchline, Hebrews 10.4, for it is impossible... For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But I have good news for you this evening. You don't have to kill any more lambs. 
you don't even have to celebrate Old Testament Passover anymore because there was a moment in time when Jesus went on a cross, his blood poured out, and right before he died, he uttered these three words, it is finished. It's done. And so a memorial forever here in the Old Testament has been superseded by a substitutionary atonement forever. On the cross, Jesus hung in our place. So a substitutionary atonement means. Not a real popular idea anymore, but it's the truth. Jesus hung in our place. He took the punishment that we had earned and deserved and gifted us his perfect righteousness. Again, your sin is, your sin is serious. It cost God a lot. It cost God everything. It cost him his one and only son. So you may say, well, okay, well, then how was Old Testament Israel saved? I have good news again. The same way that New Testament believers are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Here's the only difference. Those Old Testament believers, they looked forward to a moment when the Messiah would come, and they waited, and they trusted in faith. And you and I, we look back on a historical moment called Good Friday that Jesus died. And we know three days later, something else really cool happened too. But here's another, uh, here's another deal break for you guys. The Bible doesn't teach universalism. It doesn't teach that everybody automatically goes to heaven because of what Jesus has done. Rather, it teaches that you must put your faith in God. It's his grace, but you've got to respond in faith, just like the Israelites put their faith in God. See, that moment that they took out the blood and they marked the doorposts of their house, that was an act of faith. I guarantee you that the Egyptians were standing right by those doors laughing, mocking those believers for their trust in God. And you know what else? A couple hours later, those Egyptians were not laughing anymore. Those Egyptians were grieving, weeping over their now deceased firstborn children and adults. Death everywhere. But the Israelites believed in God's promise to save them and to set them free. And so must you. They trusted in the blood of the lamb and they got ready to go home. So here's the question for each of us. Will God's righteous judgment pass over you or will it pass through you? In other words, will you be saved from God's justice that we all deserve or will you experience God's justice that we all deserve? See, I'm not assuming that just because our two churches have gotten together that everybody in this room must automatically be saved. So seeker, I would say to you, child who's growing up in a Christian home, Visitor who's investigating the Christian faith. Adult who's been in the church his or her entire life but never really taken the reality of the gospel seriously. Have you accepted the free gift of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, who has died in your place so that you can live forever? And if you would say, I have, I'm a believer, let me just remind you of two things. First of all, remember, you are a believer, and that means that, that God's judgment and justice has already passed over you and pass through Jesus. And that's great news. I don't know what sins you are wrestling against. I don't know what sufferings you are facing, but Jesus has already won on your behalf. And he has joined you to that victory. 
And secondly and finally, I would just remind you that Egypt is all around you. Do you care? Will you take the opportunity to share the good news that you've experienced by grace and pass along that same grace to someone else? Tell them the good news of Jesus, that Jesus has died so that they can live forever. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Let's thank God for what he's done. Father, we are grateful that you have sent your son, your one and only son. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you have done for us what we could not and what we absolutely would not do ourselves. Holy Spirit, we are grateful that you have come and been our comforter and our support. When Jesus left, he has sent you, and we anticipate, we look forward to that day when Jesus will return to take us home. Father, many of us stand ready, ready to go. Our trust and our faith is in you, we've no doubt. And Lord, I pray that that would continue to be the case, and I pray for the believers gathered here that when they struggle with sin, when they struggle with hurts of various kinds, Lord, that you would lift them up. And Father, I pray for anyone who is here this evening who is hearing the reality, both Old and New Testament, of your promises of grace, Lord, that today might be the day that they would call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. Thank you for inviting us to your table, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.